Today on Blue 58, the Packers linebackers were supposed to be a bright spot on the 2022 roster. Instead, I'd say they ended up being one of the more disappointing units, even if they weren't necessarily terrible. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. I spent a little bit of time at the start of the last episode talking about what I like about tight ends. And I think I want to do that a little bit more. Maybe dive into some of the more less hard and fast stuff about football. Uh, I've actually been reading... Um, so if, if you know the, the Packers book... Um, Run to Daylight, the kind of day-by-day look of uh, at a life, a week in the life of Vince Lombardi as he prepares for the game, for a game. You know the sports writer, the famous sports writer, W.C. Hines. Well, I actually picked up an, an e-book of some of his best sports writing, and it strikes me how different sports stuff was back in the day. You did have, you know, your standard, you know, just box score, just the facts, ma'am, kind of reporting about what was going on with the games. But you also had guys like Hines who went out and tried to get to know the people and things like that going on with the game. And I, I want to try to do more stuff like that because a lot of what we think about and feel about with football is just, it is just that. It's about how the game makes you feel. And boy, do linebackers make me feel something football-wise. If I think tight ends are cool, and I do, linebackers are frightening. I don't know if there's a position that better represents the raw physicality of football than linebackers. Picture in your head a linebacker. What are they doing? For me, it's a guy primed and ready to come hard downhill against the run. Linebackers are fast, they are violent, they are often crazy, and they're often very, very smart too. Crazy like like a fox, I think you could say. They are an interesting marriage of violent and cerebral in a way that I think is unique on a football field, a, a game, a, a place that's full of violent and cerebral individuals. When I was a kid, uh, like many kids did, I, I collected football cards. And one of my favorites, for reasons that I really didn't understand at the time, was one I had of Junior Seau. And in the picture of him on the card, it's just him out on the field. It's one of those football shots where you can't see anything around him at all. It's just him getting ready for a play. And his feet are shoulder-width apart. His eyes are looking at something in the backfield. And he's pointing off to his right. And you can see that he's yelling at somebody. There is mud on his white Chargers pants. There may be some blood there too. His arms are beat up. His gloves are dirty. His The front of his helmet is all scarred up. And when I saw that picture as a kid, it's like, this is a football player. This is what a football player is supposed to be. They're supposed to look like this guy. When I started playing football, I encountered some guys like that too. And they are often a little bit frightening. Remember, you know, you first start to get into football and you play. There's different kinds of dudes out there. And sometimes you run into a guy who is just, he's going to be a little bit crazy out on the field. And in in the kinds of football that I ended up playing, a lot of times those guys ended up at linebacker. 
and I remember encountering players like that and thinking, there is something about this person that I can't match. He's got something inside of him that I don't have. And it's going to make him good at the job that he's doing, and it would make it hard for me to do the same thing. You encounter people like that at every level of football. In the college team, or on the college team that I played for, there was a position specifically like a sub-position within the linebacker room just for the guys that were a little bit extra crazy. We ran, our team's defense ran a kind of modified version of a, a 3-3-5 stack defense. And they dropped two safe, two extra safeties down in the box, except they weren't safeties in our scheme. They were linebackers that were a little too small to be linebackers, but a little bit big to be safeties. And within the defensive scheme, they just called them dogs. So you had three down linemen, three traditional linebackers, and two dogs out there on the field. And it was a perfect example of the kind of person that it takes to be a linebacker at basically any level of football. Because these guys were smaller than tight ends, but they were taking them on in the run game. They were smaller than offensive linemen, but they were often responsible for blowing up, pulling guards and stuff like that. And they were responsible for just flying around full speed and causing chaos. Up in the NFL, you get a couple different kinds of linebacker too. You get the big thumpers, big, strong, hard hitters, think you're Desmond Bishop. Or more recently, the Packers went through a whole slew of them next to Blake Martinez, Antonio Morrison, B.J. Goodson. Or you got guys that I think you could describe as a glider. Smooth, fast, sleek, often a converted safety. Devondre Campbell is in that mold. Nick Barnett was in that mold. There's a bunch of different ways to succeed at linebacker, much like any other position on the field. But they are scary. They are fast. They're physical. They're a lot of fun to watch. And I think with that kind of background, maybe I gain a little bit more understanding for myself as to why the Packers linebackers were maybe a little bit disappointing this year. We've got Eric Wilson out there. He's one of our, our cameo players, played under 100 snaps. But then you've got Chris Barnes, Isaiah McDuffie, Devondre Campbell, and Quay Walker. Especially at the top end of the depth chart, you'd think that should be a pretty good unit. It ended up kind of being just... Well, just some guys that were there. So I want to take a look at those linebackers, and then I want to do a little bit more of an in-depth dive on how you can evaluate a linebacker. Maybe if you don't have access to a lot of film or don't have the time to sort through a bunch of film. So again, how we evaluate these guys. Back last summer, we, we set expectations for them, low, moderate, or high. Defined a little bit as to what they would have to do to meet those expectations, and then now we're talking about whether or not they met them. So starting with Chris Barnes, 141 snaps on defense, 25 on special teams, ended up with 29 tackles and one quarterback hit. I filed him under moderate expectations last year, asking him, or last summer, asking him to find a role and fill it and predicted that he would start at least five games over the course of the year for just some reason, maybe figured that he would start next to Quay Walker if Devondre Campbell ever got hurt. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way for Chris. Uh, He himself got hurt, only played in six games all year. However, despite that, I think you can look at his season in a way that it was a success because playing time-wise, he had a pretty poor year. But I think it does say something about who he is as a player that he, one, made the roster, 
at all, and two, stuck around as a third linebacker who really didn't play a ton on special teams. That's an interesting sort of thing. And whether it's right or not, right or wrong, the Packers seem to think there's some value in that kind of role. As far as his 2023, I would have to think he's pretty firmly on the roster bubble because, again, a third linebacker who doesn't play a ton on special teams is a guy who's going to be on the bubble almost by default because those depth guys almost always have to play special teams. And if the next man up on our list here is any indication, the Packers have a guy they like quite a bit on special teams already. So let's talk about Isaiah McDuffie. 174 snaps on defense. 263 snaps on special teams. The second most special team snap snaps on the Packers. And really just a big increase all around for McDuffie from his rookie season in 2021 to 2022. He played exactly zero snaps on defense in 2021 and 194 on special teams. He ended up leading the team in special teams tackles with eight, had 43 tackles on the season overall. Expectations-wise, I think it's fair. It was fair at the time and still would say it's fair now to say that he had low expectations coming into this year. With Chris Barnes being a fairly established player and a first-round pick on the roster at the same position, just making the roster was pretty much going to be it for McDuffie. That's a successful season. He did that. We predicted he'd played more than 100 special team snaps on, or 100 special team snaps again, and he did that quite handily. Personally, I would say I'm a pretty big fan of how he worked out in 2022. You don't want him playing a ton on defense, and 174 snaps is probably too much for him. But for what he is as a player, I think he got pretty much maxed out Isaiah McDuffie in 2023. And leading a team in special teams tackles is no small feat. Eight is not a bad number. And uh, I'd, I'd say that overall his season is a success or was a success. Again, putting him out there on defense, probably not that great of an idea. But... Um, Shoot, other than that, a guy who can log 300 solid special team snaps and uh, lead your team in tackles at his height, weight, size, speed, it's pretty good. Now that's the the part of the roster that I think we're fine with. Moving on to Campbell and Walker, I think you start to see why this position group maybe ended up being a little bit disappointing in 2022. Devondre Campbell played 694 snaps on defense, another 61 on special teams. And he was down pretty much across the board statistically. 96 tackles, just six for a loss. No sacks, two interceptions, no fumbles forced. One of his two interceptions, though, about as exciting as it could possibly be. His pick six against the Washington Commanders might be my favorite play of the year. It's right up there. If it's not, certainly in my top five or ten. Just a fun play. Dreadlocks trailing in his wake. Big, chunky dreadlocks. Exciting play. And just a big, long, leggy linebacker. You don't see many things like that. Cool play from a cool player. Unfortunately, I think that's about as good as it got for Devondre in 2022. Coming into the season, I think it was fair to put his expectations as in the high category. Gotta be. All pro in 2021. Big contract. Basically, you needed him to be that again. And we were predicting that he was going to do that again. Top five in tackles in the NFL was our prediction. Twelve or more ball hawks. Figured he'd be making a lot of plays on the ball. And if he, you know, if there's anything to the idea of continuity within a scheme, you could see why he could hit those numbers. 
Unfortunately, he took a big step back. And if it feels like I'm brushing over some of his statistical issues or the statistical decline that we saw, I kind of am. But I think it comes down to one thing in large part. He was hurt to a degree that he really hasn't been in his career. He played 94% of the Packers' defensive snaps in 2022, which was down from 97% in 2021. He played 79% of the snaps on defense in 2020 and 89% of the snaps in 2019. However, even though he played more than he did in 2020 and 2019, he had the lowest level of availability we've seen from him since his rookie year. Played just 13 of 17 games. Back his rookie season, he played 11 of 16. Just wasn't available as much this year, and that was a big problem for the Packers' defense. We will talk a little bit more about how he stacks up to other linebackers statistically in a second, but as far as his 2023 prospects, he's going to be in Green Bay. But he needs to bounce back in a big way, or else that contract is going to start being a real albatross because there really isn't a a good time to get out of it until after the 2024 season. So he's going to be here through his age 30 and age 31 seasons regardless. So if 2022 was a preview of things to come for Devondre Campbell, maybe a little bit of athletic slippage, there could be problems on the horizon uh, for the Packers' former All-Pro linebacker. Finally, Quay Walker. The first of two first-round picks last spring, 846 snaps on defense, 78 on special teams. Finished with 121 tackles, five for loss, four quarterback hits, seven passes defensed, three fumbles forced, and a sack and a half. That's pretty good. Not really a box score stat, but also was ejected from two games. That's pretty bad. Expectations, I think, were fairly high. And they had to be. First-round pick be a difference maker is what we wanted from him. I think it basically was. And I think the amount of times he got his hands on the ball is pretty good indication of what kind of playmaker he could be. I predicted he'd have more than seven, but fewer than 13 ball hawks. Ball hawks, just as a reminder, passes defensed, interceptions, fumble forced, or sacks. All totaled together, how many plays you make it on the ball? A ball hawk. He finished with 11 and a half. That is a big win for a rookie, in my opinion. He made a lot of plays on the ball. Other than the ejections, I think this was a pretty good rookie year for him. He definitely did look like a rookie at times. A lot of guessing against the run. A lot of, you can see with some guys, they just think or believe that their athleticism is going to bail them out. And for most guys who are super-duper athletes like Quay Walker is, To this point, their athleticism has always bailed them out. But it is not always the case in the NFL. Everybody else is almost as good an athlete as you are. Even if you're a super-duper athlete and somebody is just an okay athlete, they're still a world-class athletic talent. So those were some of the times I think Walker did end up looking like a rookie at times. As far as 2023 goes, well, as far as the future goes, let's put it that way. I don't know if it's next year, but at some point, Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell are going to switch spots. Right now, Campbell is Batman and Walker is Robin. But at some point, we're going to switch roles there, and Walker is going to be the top dog at linebacker. I think he can do it, and I think it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. When does Walker take on the bigger role, and what does that role look like exactly? I don't know. 
exactly what that role looks like. Because the Packers do want Campbell and Walker on the field together, which may have been a part of their problem on defense this year, just trying to get two linebackers like that on the field together. A big thing that they did in 2021 is Campbell was just the guy out there all by himself most of the time. Maybe Walker needs to play on the edge more. With Rashawn Gary potentially out in the early part of next season, maybe there's an opportunity for Walker to just rush from the edge. He certainly has the athletic gifts to do it. I think there is an an element of the Packers still trying to figure out exactly what Walker can do on defense here. That's going to be part of his growth and maturation. What do the Packers really want to do with him anyway? That's out of his hands. But I think as far as the processing stuff, as far as figuring out what he needs to be to be a good player, there's no reason that he shouldn't take a step forward there in 2023. Now, how do you evaluate linebackers anyway? Maybe we should have done this before we talked about each of these individual guys and how they met or didn't meet what we're expecting from them, but I think this this is a good place to, to talk about this because I've been rolling this around in my head for a while. Uh, one of my colleagues at Agni Packing Company, Tyler Brook, kind of posed a hypothetical when there were some stats going around about Quay Walker and how well he did as a rookie, missed tackles, things like that. The sum total of the argument there is that Walker didn't necessarily miss just tons of tackles. He wasn't that outline, out of line with um, with the rest of the league in terms of how many tackles he was missing. The problem is using things like missed tackles to evaluate a linebacker and his overall level of play can be a bit of a fraught proposition. And think about why. If you're missing tackles, there is a chance at least that you are in position to at least attempt to make one. However, you can also lower your missed tackle rate by not making that many tackle attempts, which would probably indicate that you're just not in a position to make as many stops as you should. So you got to be careful when you're using numbers to define a defensive player because a lot of what a defensive player does is about stopping things from happening. Thinking about this as I went through a bunch of different numbers today, looking at a defensive player just from the stats is a lot like how they look for planets, or at least I'm told they look for planets, like at NASA or whatever celestial research organization you're thinking about. Basically, when you're looking for a planet, a lot of times you're looking for something that isn't there, but you're looking for evidence of how they affect things around them. So light, you know, the theory of relativity, relativity is going to be affected by gravity. And you can't always see the planet that's out there as you point your telescope up at the night sky. But you can see evidence of how the planet, if it's big enough, is affecting things around it. And I think that is kind of what you have to look at when you start looking at stats for linebackers. How are they affecting the game around them? Or where are they doing the things that they're doing out on the field? So what I did to try to get a picture of where the Packers linebackers are was look at the top five graded linebackers, according to Pro Football Focus in the NFL last year, looked up a whole bunch of stats uh, on them, and tried to figure out how the Packers compared. The Packers linebackers in question here are Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker. I didn't think it was worth a whole lot of time to look at how Isaiah McDuffie and, and Chris Barnes did with respect to them. As players, we're much more interested in Campbell and Walker. So, just running through my research here, the top five linebackers in the NFL this year, according to Pro Football Focus, were Bobby Wagner, 
of the Rams, formerly of the Seattle Seahawks, Fred Warner of the San Francisco 49ers, Levante David of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Demario Davis of the New Orleans Saints, and Tremaine Edmonds of the Buffalo Bills. All of those players graded at least an 81, according to Pro Football Focus, and Wagner tops out the scale at a 90.7. Now, I looked at the Packers' grades and compared them. I also looked at the the grades uh, for each of these guys in terms of their run defense grade, their tackling grade, their coverage grade. I looked at points saved, which I'll explain in a second here from Sports Information Solutions. I looked at missed tackle percentage. I looked at how often they are making a tackle for loss or no gain, which is another interesting twist on box score stats. I looked at the average depth of their tackle, how far downfield was a player when they were, you know, when they were tackled, when one of these players made the tackle. And then I threw in there, threw ball hucks in there as well. How often are guys making plays on the ball? In terms of what we learned just from looking at the, the top linebackers in the league, run defense is good, but a high coverage grade is better. Pro football focus grades players, they get much more credit for their overall grade if they're good in coverage versus good against the run. And I think you can understand why that is. Run defense is just less valuable than pass defense. It needs to be a part of your game. None of the the linebackers we looked at graded at less than a 73.6 in terms of their run defense grade, which is higher than both Campbell and Walker. But overall, these guys tended to have higher coverage grades than run defense grade. The average run defense grade uh, from these top five guys was 78.28. The average coverage grade was 83.22. And Campbell and Walker both graded much closer to the top five linebackers in coverage than against the run. So if there's an area where they're doing a little bit better, it's in coverage, they can still step up their overall performance by improving their run fits. However, we also have to keep in mind that even though grades are supposed to be about individual performances, run defense as a linebacker still has a lot to do with who's in front of you. And other than Kenny Clark, there wasn't a lot of great run defense, even with Kenny Clark, in front of Campbell and Walker. So generally speaking, Walker and Campbell are a lot further behind these top linebackers in terms of run defense than coverage, but coverage is more important anyway. Points saved. This is a unique metric from Sports Information Solutions. They take the expected points added, EPA, of a given play and try to assign out individual responsibility for who either generated that EPA on offense or stopped it from being generated uh, on defense. They call it points saved for defenders. On average, a top five linebacker was credited with 35.6 points saved in 2022. There's some good news here. Devondre Campbell only was credited with 12 points saved, but Quay Walker earned 40 points saved. And a lot of that was because he was making big plays on the ball. Interceptions, passes defensed, and forced fumbles are a good way of stopping an offense from doing what they need to do. You can make up a lot of ground if you're going to make plays on the ball, even if you're not doing some of the other things as well. And I think this is a positive sign for Walker And it's a major sign of regression for Devondre Campbell. But if he can make some more plays on the ball, especially uh, sacks and forced fumbles, he could get back to his 2021 form much more easily. Now, missed tackles. 
On average, the top five linebackers in the league miss just 8.62% of their tackles. It's worth noting that there is quite a range here, though. Bobby Wagner only missed 2.9% of his tackles. Demario Davis missed 14.4% of his tackles. Campbell and Walker were both around 10%, so they need to just slightly improve to be in the ballpark of where these top linebackers are. Fred Warner, for instance, missed the exact same percentage of tackles as Quay Walker did. 10.2% for Warner, 10.2% for Walker. Not necessarily a lot of percentage points of improvement needed there. And I think, looking at this from my own perspective, uh, this was a bit of a surprise for me. Because I think we do maybe overrate missed tackles a little bit. That was something that Campbell got a lot of credit for in 2021. But going from 10% to 8.5% or 5% or whatever, over the course of the season, it's maybe like three tackles, three to five. It doesn't take a whole lot to swing it. So yes, Campbell and Walker do need to clean it up. But really, as far as these top-end guys are concerned, they're not all that far outside the ballpark. If they could get down to like the mid-7% or so range, I think we're in pretty good shape there. So Campbell and Walker, yep, not great, but not necessarily that bad either. Tackles for no yards or a loss. This is a a trick I learned from Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Company. We've been using this kind of behind the scenes for a couple of years now. Tackles for loss is easy to understand. You tackle a guy behind the line of scrimmage. But Justice pointed out that you can really credit guys with um, stopping plays for no gain, too, because that's basically just as good as a tackle for loss. So how often are these guys stopping either opposing ball carriers or, or receivers right at the line of scrimmage or for a loss? Here's where Campbell and Walker might be hurt a little bit by the scheme because the scheme is definitely having them in coverage, I think, more than really focusing on the run. But compared to these top-end guys, both Campbell and Walker are not making plays at the line of scrimmage quite as often as they should. Bobby Wagner, the the cream of the crop here among the top five guys, 30 tackles for no yards or for loss. But Warner had 16, Levante David had 24, Davis, uh, Demario Davis also had 24, and Tremaine Edmonds, who only played in 13 games this year, had 16. That gives you a top five average of, of about 22. Campbell and Walker, both 12 apiece. And for a further comparison, Blake Martinez, in his best season with the Packers back in 2018, had 20 tackles for no gain or for a loss. This is an area where Campbell and Walker could take some steps forward. And this might be um, some evidence of the defensive line in front of them, not providing them with opportunities to run and make plays. But they're not making plays at the line. And this shows up a little bit in their next stat too, average depth of tackle. Now I won't go through player by player for the top five here, but among the top five, the average depth of tackle was just 2.08 yards downfield. Devondre Campbell, almost an entire yard away from that. His average depth of tackle was 2.8 yards. That is almost half a yard worse than the next worst guy in the top five. Quay Walker had an average depth of tackle of 3.2 yards. And I'm going to bring Blake Martinez in here again because this was something that he was often criticized for in 2018. 
Again, we use that because it was probably his best season with the Packers. His average depth of tackle was 2.7 yards. Campbell and Walker are making plays much further downfield than the elite linebackers in the NFL, and that could be partially due to the defensive line in front of them, but it also could be because Campbell and Walker, for whatever reason, aren't triggering as fast on some of these these run opportunities. Finally, ball hawks, just to round it out here, average top five linebacker had 11.7 in 2022. Edmonds and David had nine apiece, but everybody else was better than that. Gives you an average of 11.7. And Quay Walker, as we said, right there, 11.5. Campbell, not quite so good at five ball hawks. So overall, I think looking at this, we see a little bit of a picture as to why maybe the Packers linebackers declined a little bit. They're not making plays at the line of scrimmage like the elite linebackers are. They're not as solid against the run as some of the most elite linebackers are, but they're closer to being where these elite backers are in the passing game. They're missing tackles more often than the elite players, but not all that much more. However, their tackles are happening much further downfield. And this, I think, overall paints a picture of some linebackers who are maybe a little bit, I don't know, held back by scheme or hesitant or not able to really run and pursue ball carriers or targets in the passing game maybe as aggressively as they could or should. Some real areas of improvement for both Campbell and Walker heading into 2023, but I think there is some reason for optimism here as well. It doesn't take a whole lot to go from 10% missed tackles to 8%. And I think that's going to help some of those other areas come up too if the Packers can be can have their linebackers playing a little bit more aggressive at the line of scrimmage. It could help the defense overall. It is worth pointing out, none of these things happen in a vacuum. There is the defensive line to consider. There's the safeties behind them. All of that factors into how well these linebackers are able to do their jobs. I think it's fair to say they could have done better. It's also fair to say that I think the the Packers linebackers were a little bit let down by what was around them too in 2022. But you know what? That's how football goes. It's a team sport and your success and failure is sometimes partially or even fully out of your control. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. Appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with somebody you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.